so today, I just want to share my heart with you. My wife, uh, I'm married, by the way, um, and I give advice to young people. I say, just find a hot woman with good credit. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. <laughs> We've bought and sold three houses, never once in my name, you know, because uh, when I got saved, my credit, it didn't get saved, right? It was just me. I met Jesus, and then we eventually became around. Now, maybe the fourth time around, I might be able to get on the deed. But um, my wife is uh, an employee over at Southeastern University. She's incredible. Um, but we have three kids. We've got Oliver. He's the littlest one, little piece is his middle name, pretty much. We've got Corey, who's my ace, my oldest, and we've got Carter, who's President Carter, right? And so he kind of runs the house, and I love being around him, but uh, they're not here this morning. So how many of you know this, though? Uh, There are two sides to every story, right? There's two sides to every story. I grew up with a friend of mine. His name was Ronnie, and there was always two sides to the story. Ronnie had a tendency to get me in trouble, but everybody thought it was me. Right? You ever met somebody like this? Oh, Ronnie's a really good kid. And you're thinking, <laughs> I know the truth about Ronnie. He's not a good kid, right? There's two sides to every story. So Ronnie uh, was a great friend of mine growing up, and he got me in trouble a lot, but I took the blame. I was always okay with being kind of the fall man for Ronnie because, you know, I never wanted to burst his mom's bubble that Ronnie was actually Ronnie. You know what I'm saying? And so there's two sides to every story. So as we sh- share today, here's what I want to share about that there are two different ways that we can view people. We can view people through the lens of society and the I feel so tall up here through the the lens of society, or we can view our people, the people that are around us, through the lens of God. And how many of you know there's there could possibly be two different types of views and two types of perceptions of other people? Like if we treated you like the world treated you, and you showed up for late for church, they'd be like, uh, "That was the third week this month you showed up for church. Uh, we're gonna write you up for that one, right?" And then of course, if you do it again, we're gonna have to, you're just gonna have to go find another place to worship, right? What if we treated you like that? Good thing we don't, right? Good thing we don't. Right? So can I pray real quick? And uh, we'll get going here. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you love us. And we just thank you that we would take a moment to take a deep breath and just say thank you for this place. Thank you for Lakeland Vineyard. We thank you for the pastors and the leaders. And I pray that you would be with them. Be with us. God, as we share your word, may it never return void. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there are two sides to every story. And let me tell you something. This is kind of a life mantra for me. Um, um, Where there is a dramatic decrease in encouragement and affirmation, there is a significant increase in insecurity. Have you ever felt uncomfortable in your own skin? Have you ever felt like you were actually going to go do something great only to be kind of squelched at the very end of that thing? Because people looked at you, they didn't encourage you. So here's what I want you to know, that my mission in life is this, that I could be in relationship, that others might be in relationship with Jesus. And then the second half to the mission statement of my life would be that I want to edify the body of believers. So here's what I want to share with you. A little bit about the Word of God, of course we want to do that, but I want to encourage you, like, how does it look to have you in the Bible. When I read the Word of God, there's four different types of ways that I read. Number one, first and foremost, I I read it to see who God is. That's a good start, right? 
I read it to see who God is. And then number two, I like to see what he promises. Number three, I would like to know what he has to say about my life and how I can be a reflection of him. And then number four, though these are not the only four exclusive ways, is how can I encourage other people? And so when I read through Luke 7, 11 through 15, excuse me, I'm going to move that. Luke 7, 11 through, 13, through 15, this is what it says. This is not the scripture that I'm going to focus on, but this is something I want to see. When things just click, it makes sense right here. So Luke 7, 11 through 15, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. A large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out of, or he uh, was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. It's really important to know this. He was a widow. So therefore, she relinquished most of her rights. She was actually cast aside and had to fend for herself. Her main source of income was taken from her, her only son. So the next person to take that kind of um, that role in her life, her son, is now died. So now she's not only just um, lost her son, she lost her husband, but she also lost a lot of her potential well-being, um, her only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you to get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can I ask you a quick question? What would be the story about? What's the story about? He raised from the dead. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen anybody do that? Right. So here's, here's a couple of things that made sense to me. When I would read that, it would be hard for it to register with me. Have you ever looked at something and just didn't quite make sense, but then someone said, here's a little bit of the history, and here's why we use the colors for that painting, and here's why they, they chose the inspiration for that. Here's what happens. The, the writer of this passage, it says that the Lord, right, had compassion on her. Can I ask you a quick question? Jesus had compassion on this lady. What would it take in order for somebody to have compassion on somebody without ever saying a word. They would maybe look a little intently. Maybe they would meet the person where they were in their pain. Maybe they would see the person in their worst, deepest struggle, right? So when we read about the story about the dead being raised, it's hard for it to register with me until somebody said no. But if we're to be like Christ, if we're to be like Jesus, here's what happens. Can we all have compassion on somebody? Can we all look at people who are in their worst time of their life, the widow who just lost her son, a lot of the things, like, can we just maybe stop and take a moment, right? He was with people he'd been with. He knows people. He could have maybe just kind of exited the scene and said, hey, let's go get some rest because it was a 25-mile hike roughly in Jerusalem cruisers, right, like the Birkenstock style of the shoe back then. And so now they're going over to this place. What would you imagine someone would want to be able to do after they walk 25 miles, any marathon runners in here, right? You just want to kind of collapse and just sit down, but he walks 25 miles and has compassion. He stops his motive. He stops what he is doing. He pauses the life that he is on, the, the direction he's going, and he looks at the person and he says, I could at least have compassion. Then he restored that situation as much as he could to that lady. He gave her back his, her son. So here's what happens. I read the scripture and no longer can I and you relate. We didn't wake up this morning and say, Shekinah glory, the sun, the birds, the bees, the trees, and these allergies. Thank you, God, for these things, right? You never said that. We just kind of got up, right? 
We didn't see the significance of all this, but then all of a sudden we get to this place and there was some beautiful peace about seeing these young people around and seeing your pastor pray and preach and share um, God's word. But here's what happens. So we see this scripture and I read a little bit further in 1 Corinthians. Now let me tell you this. Before I get started, I want to share with you about FCA. First of all, I want to thank you so much for your support. You support us here at this uh, at, our, at FCA locally. We started a program called the Church Adoption Program. What that allowed was for churches to get involved in our schools and on our campuses. And so now we have over 17 campuses in Lakeland that are adopted by churches. It's pretty amazing, right? We're reaching over 1,250 students a week, which is pretty amazing. We see more young people going to church than ever before. From one school, we have over 50 students who attend FCA who have not gone to a church on a Wednesday night, now attending on a Wednesday night. We have... Two of those people, their families are now going, not just them. We've got a lady from um, um, Spesser Holland who had not gone to church for 33 years. She looks over, she says, what's this? We said, it's FCA. She goes, FCA, I don't know what that is, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And she said, that's incredible. Well, how can I get involved? This is awesome. Well, she said, well, of course, first you want to get involved. Here's what happens. We need you here. She says, well, I can't do that. I don't go to church. And she says, well, we got a place for you if you'd like to come. She goes, you know, it's crazy. I've been thinking about it. After 33 years, the lady walked into the church and is now going attending a church regularly with her family, which is pretty amazing as a result of the partnership. So these incredible things are kind of happening. We're reaching into the teams. We're reaching students where they are. And we're seeing them flourish. We're seeing them go to church. We're seeing them engage in their friends. And let me tell you something. We're seeing a change in the administration. And because of your support, let me tell you, Thank you so much that you get to drive the mission forward and when you're at work and when you're doing your thing. We're able to do ours as an extension of the family here. FCA is a parachurch, and let me tell you something real quick. Um, there is always this kind of this funny, um, I wouldn't know what to call it, but there was the church, and then there's the parachurch, right? Here's what we believe at FCA. We are an extension of the church. So we're here trying to help build a local church. I want to thank you so much for your support. So Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he was kind of addressing some issues with people in 1 Corinthians 12. That's where we're going to be at. So if you've got a Bible, bring that out, 1 Corinthians 12. And he was, he was addressing some problems, some things that, that had arose. What ended up happening was the church was looking much like kind of our society. In the church, they created this kind of pecking order. We had some people who had some talents and some gifts. Not, of all, not all of us can be as talented as Pastor Andy, but let me tell you something. There were some people who had very little to offer, and they were treated like they had very little to offer, if you know what I'm saying. And then you had some people who had some means, and they had some gifts, and they had some talents and they were treated like they had some gifts and they had some talents and they had some means. And so Paul was kind of frustrated because he was saying, this goes against everything that we ever believed. The Bible says this, that God hears the hopes of the helpless, right? And we're going to read a little bit further here in 1 Corinthians 12, and this is what it says. He uses this analogy of the body. Have you ever pulled a hamstring? Have you ever broken an ankle, right? The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some of us are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? Anything. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Here's what it says in 21. It says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet that I don't need you. If I had a title, and I do have a title, so I do, but not for the sake of illustration, but for the sake of me staying on track. It would be this, that every person has a place. I want you to write this down. If you're right, take notes. Every person has a place. I want to talk about two quick things that we see in this scripture. It talks about pride and apathy. And maybe you missed it, so we're going to go back in here. Verse 21, and we're talking about pride. It says this, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet that I don't need you. In Luke 18, there was a story about the sinner and a Pharisee, a tax collector, and a religious leader. It says that they both went into the temple. It'd be like me and Andy. And Andy looks over at me and he says, Lord, don't make me just like him. And unfortunately, he did. Right? <laughs> Come on, man. Pray a different prayer. I need hair. But he says, Lord, I don't, don't make me look like that person. Don't make me look like that person. I go to church. I'm pretty good. At least I'm not like those people. The I, right, can never say to any part of the body that I don't need you. But then it says that the tax collector looked and it said it couldn't even raise or lift his, his head. Here's what pride, here's a couple of things. The person who thinks that he's better than he is or the person that is actually great at what they do and then they make sure everybody know how good they are. A couple of different prideful things. This is me. I'm talking to you about my story. The prideful person is also the kind of person that will never admit when they are wrong and then point fingers to everyone else whenever they fail. I go to church and I'm a good person. At least I'm not like those people. Let me tell you, if you've never said this or if you've heard somebody say this, it says, I can't help anyone who can't help themselves. You ever said that or maybe thought that or maybe heard somebody say that? But here's what the Bible says, and this is something that struck me because I get saved at 23 and I start putting my life together, right, like it was all on me if it's going to be. And for me, what ended up happening was I seen God say, I knew that he would be able to welcome me into uh, heaven, but I give my, I believe on him, but I thought that's kind of where it stopped, this kind of stopping point for me. I thought, that's pretty good considering if you know who I was, right? I hung out with the big five, right? Big five, this is what I call the big five. So in, in Africa. Africa, you go on a safari, they have their big five. They got the lion, the leopard, the rhino, the elephant, and the buffalo. I had my big five. I had money, women, gambling, drugs, and alcohol. And so I hung around people who had a common sense, who had a common um, uh, place, who knew exactly who I was in this big five. And all of a sudden, I get better, and I'm doing some good things, and I'm, I'm looking good. Like I find, like I got pigment in my face. I'm not strung out on things. I'm not hung over at all times. And all of a sudden, they're looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm just not like you guys anymore. But not in a way that says, God changed my life, but in a way that says, hey, look at me compared to where you are at. Here's what pride looks like. Apathy, here's what apathy says in verse 15 through 16. 15 through 16, it says, if the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. 
that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear, it says that I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Here's what apathy looks like. Woe is me. You ever met somebody, they're just like, this is how it's going to be. I work with a lot of athletes, and so I had an illustration here. It says, I guess I'll just go ahead and sit on the sidelines because I'll never get any playing time behind that guy. He's the star. I'm just wasted space. Can I tell you something? In the game of faith, there was never meant to be a first string, second string. It's all in. Every single one of us have been called to this life of faith. There's no pecking order in the order of God. There is no order in this idea that you have to bring something in order to be something. Right? It says that he chooses the despised. And this is what apathy also looks like. The apathetic person will know the right thing, but don't do it. Apathy looks a lot like Psalm 106, 24 through 25. The people refuse to enter, the people being the Israelites. The people refused to enter the pleasant land, for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. Can I tell you something? Has life got you down so long that you stop believing that God is actually good to you? This was, this was me. Like there was a season in life where I'm like, there is surely this is the best it's ever going to get. And if this is the best it's ever going to get, then what are we even doing? The Israelites, here's what happened. They looked at the promised land. It said the pleasant land. You know, the land promised to Abraham, the land promised to the forefathers, the land promised to Moses, the land that Moses and Aaron led his people into, the land that Joshua ended up leading the people into, that land, the one that was flowing with milk and honey, the goodness of God, God's favor, God's blessing. Here's what happened. They were beaten down for so long that they looked at the promised land, and God said, take it. Go now. And it said that they turned and they grumbled about their lives and they went back into their tent. Have you ever been so hopeless for so long? Has life been so hard on you that you think this is the best it's ever going to get? So that when God actually intends on a blessing and when God actually gives you what you've been desiring, are you going to look at it and say, yes, God, I'll take it? Or are you going to look at it and say, I can't believe it even to be true? Pride and apathy, if not careful, pride and apathy, that's what we will see. They grumbled about their life. So I got a question real quick. Um, what's a sin? Name some sin, shout it. This is the best part. You're going to talk about it in church. Name a sin. Give me a sin. Oh, who said that? You've been stolen from? It's the worst feeling in the world. But let me tell you, I worked with the people. When I, when I got saved, I was working with people in recovery and people who have like, if you minister to them, you say, you say can we pray? But you have to pray kind of like this because you don't want to make sure that they don't steal anything from you. Like just in case this thing don't work out. Or you say amen, you get bold and you get brave and you just say, God, I just give it to you. And then all of a sudden you walk away and you're like, just making sure. Just making sure. Just making sure. Stealing, right? Yeah. Sins. Come on, give me some sins. Greed. Oh, man. Yeah. Give me some more sins. What? Oh, lying. Have you ever lied? Okay. Here's, if anybody in this church hasn't told a lie, I think it's going to be you. So we got stealing. We got greed. We got lying. What else? Gossip. Well, listen, tell me. I'm going to tell you this one time, but you didn't hear from me, okay? Gossip, right? I'm only going to tell you this once. 
Uh, what else? Give me, give me three more. Lust. lust. Yeah, lust. We're not even going to go there. But since you did, <laughs> Lord Jesus be with us. Right? We got lust. We got greed. We got all that. A couple more. Oh, murder. <laughs> of course. Right? Murder. What else? Gluttony. Come on, man. Get out of here. <laughs> Come on, man. We're just trying to enjoy life. Gluttony, right, right, yeah, yeah, all those great sins are incredible, right? They're the, they're the big five, right? But here's what James says in 417. Real quick, you know when things just kind of make sense and they click into place and you have an aha moment? This was my aha moment. It started in Luke. I saw that though I may not be able to raise people from the dead, I can certainly have compassion on someone in their lowest, hardest time of their life. Though I may not be able to raise somebody from the dead, I can be with somebody even when I'm tired. Right? And then all of a sudden I get to 1 Corinthians 12 and I see that there was a point in everything that every person has a place. But here's what happens. I lived under this assumption that you were set apart from things. Right? When you get saved in Peter, it says, don't be confused or don't be surprised, he says, when people look at you because you're no longer indulging in wild parties. I lived under this assumption that as long as I could not do this thing and not do that thing and then not go here and and then not go there and not be with those people and not be in this community and not be out past midnight because nothing good happens after midnight and then not be, I was checking it off, but I worked with addicts. And let me tell you, if you've ever been to an AA meeting or an NA meeting, the most unpopular point in the entire place is the coffee station because if you take something from them, you have to, right, we're wired. You take something from me, I have to replace it with something. But isn't it amazing that when God removes us from these things, he actually gives us himself. And he gives us good things. So here's what happened. For years I lived in this way, looking at people to my left and looking at people to my right. And I thought, I'm better than them. I'm doing better than they were. Or I looked at my life and I thought, at least I'm not doing those things anymore. And so there was a set apart from the world, and I would neglect the world, and I would stay away from things. But how many of you know if all you could never do was don't do that, don't do this, don't say that, don't go here, don't go there, don't put on underwear. But here's the thing. like here, If all you had to do was don't do, right, don't do, eventually it's not going to be worth it. You're going to play that record over and over again. You're going to play it over and over again. And so here, I, I'm going to share the scripture not to like debunk your sin, that all those sins you told me here, because I lived under this. And here's what it says in James 4.17. It says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So set apart from, let me tell you something, you are also set apart for I'm walking into this Publix supermarket, and I step over a bag of uh, 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 some, like, McDonald's. Let's say it's McDonald's. It's probably not McDonald's. It's probably Five Guys because it was over there. I walk over some Five Guys. I walk into the store, and I'm halfway in the store. Inside my spirit, there was just this, like, I couldn't stop thinking about that, that thing, that litter, the trash that I walked over. And I literally stop and I say, why can't I stop? And this is what God spoke to me. He said, if you don't pick up the litter when I tell you to do it, you will never pick up your cross when I tell you to do it. 
Let me tell you, I'm not prescribing to you to go in on a litter mission inside of Lakeland. That's what God spoke to me. But I could have walked over that, not gone to the bar. I could have walked over that, not gone and said these things. I could have walked over that, and here's what's going to happen. The church, if we're not careful, the people in our community, if not careful, are going to focus on the things that you do and then totally neglect this beauty of what God has called you to do. That's an easy, silent sin. It's an easy sin to say, no, I'm good. I'm going to close here with a story, and I want to pray for you. Here's what I want to pray, that you would enter into this idea with me that it's okay, that if you don't do those, that's great. If you don't do that, but let me tell you, if God has called you to this place in faith, if he's called you to this church, there's something for us to do. But I'm literally walking or driving. I'm I'm driving this guy down Crystal Lake. I take a left behind the Southeastern University. I drop off the basketball player. It's been a long day. I go home. I see a man walking down the street, an older gentleman, had a walker. If I stopped to talk to him, it would probably take a little time. Like I began to rationalize, and I heard this like kind of longing in my spirit to go and talk to this guy. And so I go to talk to this guy. Psych, I didn't. I was driving past him. Like, I'm not going to do it. I get halfway down, uh, I don't forget, I forget the road, but I get down Crystal Lake, I'm almost to 98, and God told me to turn around. And it was one of those moments, right? If, if I never went there, none of you would ever judge me, and I'd keep my job in ministry. You see me walking into cows, I'm telling you, you might question who I am. <laughs> That's, uh, is it my cows? Cows? It's a bar. You see me walking into a bar, right? Here's what happens. None of you would ever question whether or not I had good integrity, good character, good anything. But in my spirit, there was something longing in me to turn around. I turned around, and I'm like, okay, I'll go. I stop, and I pray with this guy. I say, listen, man. I said, hey, can I, can I pray with you? I know this is weird. I'm kind of inconvenienced in my mind. And I, he said, yeah. I said, well, what can I pray for you about? He said that I quit smoking. And I, and I said, okay, well, let's pray. He goes, well, not now. <laughs> right? He wanted to get that last one in, baby. I get it. I've been there. Can you pray this, like, in a couple weeks? Right? I look at him. He's, you know, he, he's got a nicotine-filled mustache, and he, his hands smelled terribly, and he was, right, it was, it was wild, but I grabbed his hands. I couldn't let go. I pray for this guy. I'm driving away, and I can smell this, this nicotine on my hands. He transferred the residue onto my hands. But let me tell you something. Where it would turn maybe somebody's stomach, here's what God spoke to me. He said, nicotine never smelled so sweet. Why? You're set apart to do. You're not just set apart from. You're set apart for the mission of Christ. And so when I look at people, when I look at you, and I look at all all the incredible opportunities that are there, can I tell you, I want to encourage you. You're not just set apart from things. If all you ever did was live your life in such a way you checked the box and left it in your closet and said, at least I'm not like those people. Or if you only did this, you'll look at what people are doing great things. And here's, let me tell you something. You'll either judge yourself by what other people are doing or you'll judge yourself by what you're not doing in light of what other people are accomplishing. You're going to say, at least I did these things and didn't do them, and then you'll never chase after the design. You'll never chase after the vision that God has put within you. That's the beauty of who God is. 
He chooses the despised. He chooses the discarded. He chooses those who are young in faith. They choose the seasoned person. They choose a per- That's This is the beauty of there's no pecking order and there's no timeline in which we have to say, well, I'll maybe get to it next week. God could say, I could do it now. So I want to pray for you this. Let me tell you, God's love didn't just set you apart from, he set you apart for. Okay. Every person has a place. Every person in here, the Bible says, has been given a gift. And here, let me tell you this. It's been given to you so that you might serve one another. Can I pray with you, Father? We love you and we thank you so much. That you love us and you care for us. We thank you so much that you desire to be in relationship with us, that others might be in relationship with you. God, I thank you for Lakeland Vineyard. Bless them. Bless this place. There's something sweet about this place. God, but what is sweet here, I ask and I pray that you would mobilize them, take them here and bring them there. God, take them from the world, but put them back into it on mission for you that they might do something for you, God. And I pray this. God, that people who are doing great things, may they not feel undermined, but encouraged. May people who are not doing things not feel discouraged, but they would feel empowered. And I ask now that you would be with us today and for the rest of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand up with me. We're going to pray for Terry. NFCA and... God, we thank you uh, for the, our friend. God, we thank you for our brother in Christ. And, and Jesus, I just want to pray for more, uh, more vision, uh, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your guidance, more of your um, obedience in his life, even if it's disgruntled. And we just pray that you would uh, have him turn around. Again and again and again. Have him get the nicotine on his hands again and again and again. And I, God, I pray that for everyone in this room. Uh, God, we see what FCA is doing. We see what you're doing through FCA. And, Father, we pray for, uh, for more lives that are impacted by the kingdom of God as you move and use FCA. God, I want to pray for uh, the fruition of things that they thought that were impossible, that you would bring them. Uh, God, I know that you've been working in a mighty way, and I pray that you would do just more, that the influence would increase. Uh, and God, we, we know this. It's not about numbers. It's about people coming into your kingdom. And Father, so that's what we want to pray for. We want to pray for more stories where kids are being impacted and their families are, are coming into the church and the church isn't just serving um, itself. It's serving the community as it was designed. So we, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in FCA, and we just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit just to come and move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, bro.